Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. God takes his time to prepare Moses, 80 years, before he starts to use him. How many of God's not in a hurry? Hmm? When you live in timelessness, you're not in a hurry. Okay? God lives in a, in a zone called timeless. Time is not an issue for him. Right? I've realized in my own life how much time he has taken to prepare. Amen? What's the most valuable asset on the earth right now? A mature spiritual father. That man, to, to, to get a man to be a father and a mature one, takes a lot of dealings with, of God in his life. Right? To kill that person off is to lose one of the greatest resources in the earth. Hmm? Because you don't find them quick and easy. Hmm? I wish I had started only fathering some people now, from today. When I'm a bit more mature as I was maybe five or six years ago. Hmm? That's how I feel sometimes. Fathers are made. I will make you a father. The making process. Second point, faith is matured within you through repetitive exposure to an authentic apostolic fathering grace by which you are constantly washed with the proceeding word. Now, faith is matured. Even say mature faith, great faith. Uh, the measure to each man is dealt the measure of faith, the Bible says. So you're going to grow your measure into it becoming robust, raw Confident faith, right? That only happens through, I said here, repetitive, consistent exposure to proceeding word from a valid, authentic, spiritual, apostolic, fathering grace. Hmm? The issue here is keep washing. Remember the man, the man in John 9? Wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. Nipto, the word for wash, literally implies ongoing, repetitive washing. And they continued Acts 2.42 steadfastly, right? That's why you've got to keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep washing. Keep washing. Honor and esteem for spiritual fathering as reflected in an accurate, in an accurate estimation of his or her worth and divine representation on the one hand and an appreciation or understanding of the fact that his or her words are actually God's words on the other is vital for the development of faith and Obedience. So those two, those two things are, are, are absolutely critical. The one who preaches, the one who teaches you the word of the Lord, you got to have an accurate estimation of them in your mind. The fact that this man is standing before me, I, my view of him has got to be accurate, right? And when he speaks, I've got to in my mind see. He's speaking as God's voice. Those two dynamics, my, my appraisal of him, my view of him, my, my perception of him on the one hand, and then my regard for what he says, not as his ideas, but as God's very words. Those two dynamics 
are critical for the development of biblical faith. And then we said, the ultimate objective of every son of God is to model the nature of the, of the heavenly father to men. Right? Now, what I want to focus on is something which for most of us would be elementary. But I need to cover it so that, because this module is going out to nations in the year. And um, I, I would feel if I don't do this, have it recorded, that it would leave somewhat of a gap in understanding to those that are less informed than most of us. So I want to talk tonight about the voice within the voice. That's the title of the, the topic. Now, God is spirit, not so. You must always remember, God is spirit. He does not have an external or tangible shape or form. Spirit cannot be seen from our perspective with natural eyes. Spirit is formless. formless. Spirit, by definition, is actually wind. Ruach. Breath or air set in motion. So if God were to appear, you wouldn't be able to detect Him with natural eyes. God is spirit. God's anatomical nature is grace. Listen carefully. Spirit, while it's cannot, it doesn't have substantive or, let me just say this correctly, spirit does not have any matter to it, as it were. Right? But it does have substance. The substance of spirit is called grace. And when we do the study on grace, I will explain this a bit more. Grace, compositional constituent nature of spirit. So God cannot be seen. We live in a physical world, a time-related world of space and matter. So for Him to communicate to us, He's going to need a mouthpiece, someone to talk on His behalf, right? So what does God 14 says this? How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? How can you call on God whom you haven't believed? Then he says, how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear then without a preacher? The Greek word for preacher um, relates to the, 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 the verb preach, kerux, right? It's, it's one who heralds or announces or claims something on behalf of a greater power, right? So the Karuks is the announcer of the message of the Lord. This is not sermonizing. Listen, the, the preacher is a very, very high calling, and the act of preaching is a very, very high calling. God would position a Karuks, a preacher, communicates messages to those who need to hear, because how can they hear Unless someone preaches. How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone communicates? So God always, his, his methodology is, He needs human vessels to communicate His thoughts to other humans to develop belief and faith in them. God's purposes are communicated in that manner most often. God can speak in many ways. Predominantly of word, usually he will communicate his thoughts to you by one whom he has set over you in the Lord. 
For our sake tonight, we're going to reference that person as your spiritual father in the Lord. What is spiritual fathering? If I'm your spiritual father in the Lord, my task is to communicate the word of God to you. In that word is what? Everyone say grace. Grace is the, that, that component that makes God God. God is not God without Him having grace. Make up of what He is as spirit. His nature, His quintessential composition or constitution, full of grace, His spirit, comes to you in a container called word. Say word. So word is the only medium to communicate grace. Let me not really redefine that, re-say that. It's not the only one, but it's the predominant way in which God's nature is communicated to you. So when you hear the word, what you're receiving? Grace. He who is spirit is able to impart his nature to you. You engage that by partaking of the divine nature through acts of obedience when you hear that. And then, like he is full of grace, it could be said of you too. You are also full of grace. The Bible says, Stephen, full of grace. Hmm? So, like he was, and the Bible says, of his fullness. Say fullness. He is spirit and he's full of stuff. He's full of grace and truth. Of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. I'm quoting John 1.14. Okay? Now, All of that's very important to understand. It comes through the word. So let me, I'm going to use myself as an example to make this more practical. Myself as a spiritual father and you you people as spiritual sons. So we can make this a bit more real. For that to happen, if I am to represent God, I am not the father. I represent the spirit that the father to you, Right? Spiritual fathers do not substitute for the heavenly father. We represent him. There's a difference between substitution and representation. Right? Um, I'm not your father. I represent and bring to you the grace of the heavenly father, so to speak. Thamo often says, no man can adequately spiritually father another in his own strength. All he can seek to do as a human being is trust God that his life is so accurate that he is living obediently before God and men. God can find within that person uh, trustworthy enough to communicate his essence of father to others. So spiritual fathers represent the grace of the heavenly father to their spiritual sons. So... He is full of grace, God the Father. The spiritual father stands as one who ministers or shares word, and in word is grace. You receive grace every time you hear the word, but grace in your life is only activated every time you obey the word. When is Jesus full of grace? Roman, um, John 1 says, The word became, only when the word becomes flesh, it says, we beheld his glory full of grace. It's obvious to an observer when they're looking at you. You, when the word becomes flesh, 
Grace can be seen. Grace is only visible in the moment or in the act of obedience. Okay? Now, are you all understanding? Now, it is essential then that if your spiritual father stands before you, and like we said this before, and he, 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 you in your own mind must uh, receive those words, not as the words of men, but as what they really are, the words of God. And in your note, I've retyped 1 Thessalonians 2.13 for emphasis. For this reason, Paul said to the, to the Thessalonians, we also constantly thank God when you receive God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So we of God. Now in Revelation 1, 10 to 13, it says, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now just underline or circle the word trumpet. What does a trumpet symbolize prophetically? What's the symbolic meaning of trumpet in the Bible? Announces, yes. Remember in war, um, the sound of the trumpet, it's, it's activation to, to, to purpose. Uh, you hear the sound of a trumpet. This, generally, uh, most people would conclude a trumpet is a sign of the prophetic. The prophetic word comes, and, I mean, it doesn't just say a soft trumpet. It says a loud, what doesn't it say? A loud voice. Loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet. Right? John says, I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And look at his response in verse 12. I turn to do what? To do what? I turn to see the voice. I did not turn to hear the voice. I heard the voice already. All I wanted to do is to find out what is the source of this Trumpeting voice that is activating me to write, is activating my destiny to do something. Source of God's speaking to you. And what did he see when he turned? I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw what? I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, golden, just put the arrow divine, divine nature. Gold is always a depiction of the divine nature, right? Gold or golden. Lampstand is what? Lampstand is word or apostolic doctrine. Seven. So, so let's put all those ideas together. Seven golden lampstands. Seven, the idea of perfection, golden divine nature. Lampstands is apostolic word or apostolic doctrine. Right? Remember the, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my, unto my pathway. So, listen carefully. What do each of us need in our lives? We need perfected apostolic doctrine. 
that communicates to us divine nature. All of this is embodied just in that short phrase, seven golden lampstands. Perfected or perfect and that when we expose to it, it communicates to us the gold, the divine nature of the Lord. And what does that do? Like a lampstand does, it illuminates our life. It gives us clear direction. We don't grope aimlessly in darkness. Two weeks ago, they've given us the next six Tuesdays. It was powerful, eh? Two hours, 10 in the morning to 12. I did a session with them today. Um, they put it in a, in a totey newspaper and rushes to Jules because they want notes. Right? She comes back with about 30 email addresses of people wanting access to what we're doing. Hmm? Let me just say this. That's why when I teach now, I'm not just teaching to you. It's also about those that will hear this even via recording. So let me just say this. This is going far and wide. One of the ladies afterwards asked me a few questions. Um, but really, what she was really needing, and some of my research, because I can see that this, if you, if you neglect the word, you're neglecting light. You're neglecting illumination. Especially, not just any word, golden lampstands, apostolic doctrine. Okay? Then you, you need to light your life up. Tell your neighbor, light up your life. Isn't there a song like that? You, oh yes, you light up my life. <laughs> now you must sing that to the Lord. Okay? Apostolic doctrine. The important thing is, what I want to emphasize is the word turn. John turned, he heard a voice, he turned to see it. The first thing he sees, seven golden lampstands, right? And verse 13 is very important. It says, in the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Not Son of God. This is a reference to Jesus in his earthly dimension. So, it's a reference to a human vessel through which God's his breast with a golden girdle. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You need to clarify who that voice is in your life. Right? It should be the voice of your spiritual father. You will know, I often say to people, you will know who your spiritual father is when that person speaks and it's like a loud sounding trumpet in your spirit. Activating you prophetically, it's a simulation of the nature of God, activating you into some aspect of your purpose. That voice is the prophetically activating voice in your life that shifts you. Okay? Let the trumpet sound louder. Turn to see what son of man is walking in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. It's from the culture, listen carefully, it's from the midst of walking through seven golden candles. So every spiritual father has got to be within the environment. If he's not an apostle per se himself, then at least that man has got to have some access or exposure to an apostolic, authentic apostolic spiritual form. Amen? At the bottom of your note, when a spiritual father speaks to you, he speaks representatively of the spirit of the heavenly father. Matthew 10, 20. It is not you who speaks. I like this verse. said to the disciples. When you speak on my behalf, 
Yes, you will do the speaking, but who will be speaking to and through you, in you, he says. It will be the spirit of your father. I like to, in my mind, always assert this. For those of us that are ministers of the word and teachers of the word, every time you stand here, whether you're doing table, reading, you're doing an actual teaching or a sermon or basic word of encouragement, MD, whichever, at the house you must start to practice this. Say, God, let representatively of you, okay? Let your voice be heard through my voice. You've got to hear his voice in the voice of a man. The voice within the voice, okay? Samuel 30, uh, 23, 2 says, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was on my tongue. Right? His word on human tongues. Malachi 2.7 The lips and men should seek instruction from His mouth, for He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. If I am your priest, so to say, my lips should be the uh, symbolic indication of one who preserves God's ways or the knowledge of the Lord. You hear me, men, must seek instruction from my mouth. Why? Because he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Galatians 4 verse 12 says, This is Paul talking to the church at Galatia. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And you have done me, no wrong. But you know it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. So in verse 13, Paul highlights some physical illness, impediments, and infirmity that he has. In my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus him. So, now listen carefully. Paul is coming to this church and he's saying, I had a physical defect. Some physical, it looks like an illness of some kind. But something which to the natural mind, my physical appearance, demeanor, condition, was, bore me, I, my, my, my physical infirmity would be a repellent to them. I would not be easily acceptable to people based on how I looked externally. I'm saying this deliberately. Why? When you turn to see the voice, sometimes what you see can be a discouragement. Why? You're looking at externalities. You're looking at the flaws, the freckles, and the frikies in the man. Yet in that man is a voice. Let me just say this to you. Perfection in spiritual fathering does not mean that they are without weakness or deficiency. Right? I'll prove this to you later on in another verse. Paul is saying, I'm glad you guys in Galatia, when I came to you, you did not focus on my physical infirmity, rather you received me how? As who? It was like an angel of God. Right? And on the next page, I got the Greek for angel. It's angelos on page four, which means Messenger, announce, teach, perform, or explore anything. So the reference to angel is not some winged creature, bright lights, halo, celestial being, flapping its wings. 
The Greek word angelos simply means one who carries a divine messenger. And I love to see angels. And my response is, yeah, my. I'm your angel. So, Paul is saying to the Galatians, get back to verse 14, the previous page. You received me, said that, he wasn't saying you saw wings, you saw the celestial being. He's saying you simply received me as one carrying a divine message. The communicator of divine things to you. But I like this, comma, as Christ Jesus him. That's an amazing phrase right there. When the Galatians received Christ, representing Christ. Right? Representing Christ. To such a degree, in verse 15, he says to them, when, Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Such was your level of esteem, honor, and respect for my representation in your midst. Literally anything I asked you, you would have done. Based upon your respect for who I represent from God himself to you. Now, then he says, so I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. Let me just say why he's speaking so seemingly harshly to them here. If you know the book of Galatians, the Galatian church, Galatia was a province, by the way, it was like, a, like what catered in, where the whole of churches scattered out. The letter to the churches at Galatia was written to a whole geographical area full of churches because some false Judaistic stressed the Mosaic covenant and stress um, um, the teaching of, of aspects of the law that was ceremonial and legalistic, that those need to be upheld for you to get salvation. The Galatian churches initially believed by faith in Christ, so they were saved. But in time, Paul was their father in the Lord. And there was this absence by virtue of Paul's travels. And in that gap, certain false teachers came in and they drew the whole church back, whole province, back to legalistic Jewish observance. Right? So he would say things like this in Galatians later on. He says, I, I marvel how you are so soon removed. He says, so quickly you are removed for having begun in the spirit. Are you now made, being made perfect by the flesh? He says, foolish Galatians, fools, he said, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Right? And now, when Paul speaks like this, this is the way I'm going to listen carefully. How can a man address a whole region in such seemingly harsh and a serious tone, harsh terms? Right? Later on, right at the bottom, I think I got this in your note. I don't have it there. Right, right at the bottom of the, the last paragraph. The appeal Paul makes to the Galatians is given force and impetus by the cemented condition of his fatherhood over them. Only a father can talk like this to sons. Right? He, he's not concerned as an itinerant preacher over churches. I mean, he comes and he checks, my God, I've just been away a few months, and it's like, you know what the Bible says, bewitched. He said, who has bewitched you? In the Greek, Paul is using the image of a, a cobra. 
uh, of a cobra bewitching a bird, um, where the, what do they call that? Hypnosis. Where the hypnotic effect is so great that the bird literally becomes paralyzed in the wake of this hypnotic effect of the snake. Right? And that's called a bewitching, like a spell. Paul is saying the same things. Paul is saying, my view of you, whole region, whole churches, it's like you're under the spell of some teaching. It's like you, you seem paralyzed as you succumb to this doctrine. He says things like, listen carefully. Thus, a father over them could speak in strong terms to them like, he says, I am perplexed concerning you. He says, I am in doubt about you later in the book. Right? But listen carefully. Before he addresses and he corrects the subtle lure away from faith in Christ towards trust in Jewish obsolete archaic practices, Paul first establishes the fact I'm your father in the Lord. Right? He says, and I want to remind you when I first came to you and I preached the gospel, how you guys received me. You saw my representation of Christ. You saw I was a true angel of God that spoke to you. Now go back to the verse at the top. He says in verse 17, They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is always good. So it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner and not only when I'm present with you. My children. Can you see the heart of a father? He says, my children with whom I'm again in labor. This is right there, second apostolic travail. It's like a, labor, like a woman in birth. She's travailing in birth. Paul uses similar imagery when he says, my children with whom I am again in labor. For what purpose? Christ is formed in you. You can bracket that off when you say the goal of spiritual father. What is the responsibility of a spiritual father? What, is, what, what do I want to see? What will make my joy complete? Right? When I see you, Newman, when I see you, and I see Christ being formed in you. Right? It was as though that process of the formation of Christ in them had gone to a certain level, but because of the seduction to false teaching, that process was inhibited. Now Paul comes and says, now I must travail a second time. Second apostolic travail. And so Christ is formed in you again. Okay? I wish I could be present with you, he says, now to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I just love reading the book of Galatians. Read it, it's only six chapters. Read the, you must, when you read Galatians, it's like you must scoop it up in one go. You must start in chapter one and read it as though, like Paul is like preaching and you're listening to him talk to you. And try and think, how is this guy? What's the tone? What is his passion? What is his heart? Okay? Oh, by the way, he ends the letter saying, but I have confidence in you. After lashing, lashing, lashing. He says, but I have confidence in you. Okay? Like a true father always sees the Potential in his sons. But listen carefully. Everyone say, the voice within the voice. I wrote in my notes here, only, it's not in your notes, I just wrote it. I added it in for my own remembrance. The basis 
for the exercise of spiritual discipline is fathering. Only a father meets our discipline and only a son can be corrected. Okay? The basis for correction is fathering. Only a father can correct. And only a son can receive that correction. Go to page 4. What The long and short of all of that is, all I want to be referenced to is this. When Paul came to them, they did not view him as weak, deficient, based on his physical demeanor. Tradition says Paul was short and bald and not too comely to look upon. Like of David, of David it says he was strikingly handsome. David in the Old Testament? That was like the man of the moment. Okay. David's sons like Absalom and Adonijah were all strikingly handsome. The Bible says Absalom had hair flowing from here to who knows where. Same hair killed him, by the way. Okay, got him in a knot, as it were. But Paul's visage, external demeanor, wasn't something most people would readily be attracted to. That is why, listen carefully, don't be attracted to a spiritual father because of his externality. That's his physical demeanor, the size of his church, the type of car he drives, um, the area in which he lives. All those are inaccurate measures for fathering. You have got to simply decide on one fact. Which voice is like a loud-sounding trumpet in my spirit? When it speaks, it activates me. I must turn to see that voice. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says something very similar to the Corinthians. Remember he said, I'm your father. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to correct you, to discipline you, to admonish you as my beloved children. If you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have any fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Right? Paul is saying, it's fine to have many voices, many teachers, but you only have one father. And let me just say this. The voice of your father should be the predominating, prevailing voice in the sound of your ears. Right? That is why we must uh, get our entire um, media system up and running, right? Where you can play CDs in your car, right? Listen, the whole series, I think this primacy of the world will come to about 10 or 12 sessions. Once we are done with about 10 or 12, we'll put them all on one CD. When you get your CD, it will have the audio plus the PDF copies of the note on the CD. You'll have the whole stack. What I do, what we do in the office... We, we hear Thamo almost daily. It's like his voice is everywhere. What am, I don't just do that because we have nothing else to play. I do it consciously. Why? want that voice to be sounding and resounding. Booming, echoing constantly in my spirit. Amen? Renee went to bed last night with Thamo speaking. She put him on. She, she was about to sleep. I went down to work in the office. I came up after an hour. Conked, but Thamo was still speaking. <laughs> room, voice filling the room. Awesome. Hmm? I, you know, sometimes you... I've, I've gotten to know my father so well, I can almost preempt what he's going to say next. When you listen so often, 
You can almost track thoughts now. You almost know exactly where he's going in the spirit. Now that is why, listen carefully, let's just finish, read this. Um, Matthew 10, 20 says, It is not you who speaks, but it's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. We had this verse before. So I want to implore you, train your mind to condition your thinking, your view, your perspective, that when your, when your spiritual father stands to speak, you must say, God, I'm ready to hear your word. I know you've chosen this vessel. I'm not focusing so much on the vessel. I want to hear you. But you and your wisdom just chose him. So when he speaks, I will regard your word in him. He might have freckles, frikies, and a whole lot of deficiencies in his makeup and character. Yet I will not allow those things to detract from my accessing your voice. Because I need to access your voice. Okay? Now, just to cement the fact, for the sake of that our understanding is really cemented, I got in the notes, see your spiritual father as an angel. We've already defined what an angel is. To the seven churches in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are letters to seven churches. The letter is addressed to the angel of each church. You can see that in your notes. To the angel at the church of Ephesus, right? To the angel at the church at Smyrna, right? Revelation 2.12. To the angel at the church at Pergamon. 2.18. To the angel at the church at Thyatira. 3.1. The angel at the church at Sardis, right? 3.7. To the angel of the church at Philadelphia, right? 3.14. To the angel of the church at Laodicea. Who, to whom is each letter addressed? To the angel. When God wants to speak to the church in a directional manner, to, to speak strategically to that house. He would speak through the leader of that house. God will not communicate to the committee, to the, to the deacon board, or the, the eldership board. He speaks to the leader, through the leader, to condition the house. Especially when it comes to issues of apostolic assessment. Because if you know the content of each letter, usually God says, He commends the house for certain things, then He finds... Issues wrong with the house. And he always reveals an aspect of his nature to the house. I come to you as so. I find you're commended for this. In this you are deficient. He was an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's how each of the letters ends. He was an ear. Let him hear. But the message is given to the leader. To the people. Now this Exodus 23 is the key verse for you to note. At the bottom. Did you know that in Israel's journeys throughout the wilderness, God positioned Moses as the leader over the church? Israel. Why do I say Israel the church? Do you know that Israel was a church in the wilderness? Right? In your notes, I got the reference, Acts 738, I think it is. Right? Acts 738 says, Israel was the church in the wilderness. Moses was the set man of the church, the leader of the church, the angel through God's representation and God's word is communicated. God said this to Israel in Exodus 23, 20. Behold, I'm sending an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. 
You should put a one and a two there. Number one, guard you. Number two, bring you to the place. What is the purpose of the angelic function over a church? It's to guard you as you journey, but then also to ensure that you arrive at a prepared place, the place prepared. But how, do you, how, do the, how are those two dynamics activated over your life? The next verse tells you, be on your God before Him and do what to His voice? Obey His voice, do not be rebellious towards Him, for He will not pardon your transgression. Why? Because my name is in Him. What is name? Nature and function. So when this guy stands before you, God is saying, I invested my full nature, all my purposes for you is locked up in Him. You're getting to no promised land if you don't obey Him. And I like the, the phrasing eh? in the next verse, verse 22. If you truly obey His voice and do all that I say. I like this, right? So obey His voice by obeying Him. You'll be doing all that I say. When he speaks, his voice is only my voice. He is the voice. My voice. So when you hear him, hear the voice within the voice. Hear my voice in his voice. Obey him. Do all that he says. Why? Everyone say, my name is in him. Please get the statement into your mind and really meditate on it. When I think of Thamo Naidu, I say this to my mind. God's name is in that man over my life. The nature of God, the, the representation, the visage of God, and the purposes of God vested for my life, because we said repetitively, name is nature and function. If, my, if God's name is in him, and he stands before me, he opens his mouth to speak. And listen carefully. The thing that is highlighted in this verse is the issue of rebellion. God said to them, don't be rebellious towards that voice, but be oh. Obedient. Two things are going to happen. As you progress, you will be protected. You will find this God. He will guard you along the way. And secondly, you are going to arrive at something called a prepared place. The things that God has destined for your life will certainly come to pass. Brethren, I'm now more than ever confident that we will finish strong. I've always had this reality, but it's really growing in my, the fabric of my spirit, now more than ever before. Please notice subconsciously what also is happening as we constantly, every week, engage the word like we are doing now. I sense in the spirit that there's a growing authority that we have. We can now stand up as the seed which has become the son. The seed of the word has become the son of the kingdom. And we can now, like Jesus in the boat, stand up as the word made flesh, and command our storms. Let me tell you, even things are now going to start to respond to us. I just sense in my heart, the growing representation of sonship is enhancing, is growing. Why? Word focus. The seed is becoming sons. Say it again. The seed is becoming sons of the kingdom. Go to the next Everyone say relevant fathering. Come on, say it louder. Relevant. You see, the father-son wineskin is now fashionable. It's the latest thing on the block in the kingdom, as it were. It's now the in thing. Hmm? Now the latest thing is not 
How many people you have in your church with how many sons you have? Or the buzzword is, who's your daddy? Who's your spiritual father? And there's a sense of, in some quarters, adopting the principle in the house simply to be seen to be compliant with what God is stressing. Yet, the representation of that construct is not authentic. And it's not accomplishing its intended outcomes. So when I say, have a father, turn to see the voice, hear the voice within the voice, may you better make certain that voice is authentic. It's not spurious. It's not fake. Right? Because there are many fake fathers, false fathers out there. And you need to be highly, highly, highly discerning. I said to somebody I met with for lunch last week, he asked to see me and he had 110 questions in reference to fathering. How do I know who my father is? So I mentioned a few things that I've mentioned up to this point in this study. And amongst the things I said, I said, you know that you are son of God by the witness of the spirit in you, not so? His spirit witnesses with your spirit that you are a son of God. So does Romans 8 teach. I said the same process for divine sonship is applied to spiritual sonship. You will have an unction or an internal knowing inside your spirit. A jumping in the womb and in knowing that that's the man I need to connect with as the one, the angel that will guide me along the way, guard me and bring me to my prepared place. His words, like a loud sounding trumpet, will activate me to destiny. His focus is one thing. He wants to see Christ develop in me. He's not fathering me for personal gain. He's not fathering me for any other ambition. His whole intent is that loves me so much, um, he'll wait upon God, prepare words to teach me his ultimate intent. He wants to see me be like Christ. That is the sum total of spiritual fathering. Nothing more, nothing less. There's a move in some quarters of the world where there's this unholy attempt, carnal attempt, to gather as many sons as possible. Why? Because the more sons you have, the more first fruit offerings you have. Let me say, that's devilish, carnal, and from the pit of hell. Hmm? That is not our focus at all. Our focus is one thing, to see Christ develop in you. I would even say, I'll make the statement surely in the house. I'm going to make a statement soon, like Paul did to the Corinthians. If, if financial honor is burdensome to you, then I personally will forego it, but still fulfill the function. Paul actually said that to the Corinthians. He says, I don't want to, to uh, 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 in my own paraphrase of the words, of his wording is, he doesn't want to create unnecessary or offense. But he was willing to lay down a, he says, I can speak authoritatively on these things, but I choose not to, for your sake. Amen? Say Christ in you. It's the sum total of our engagement. We want to see Christ develop in you. But now go in your notes at the bottom, middle of page 5 to Romans 10, 15. It says, How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, remember the previous verses we've just read. How will they hear without a preacher? If the preacher does not preach, 
They won't hear, hence they won't believe. Then this verse comes in and says, okay, that's fine. But how will, they, how will the guy preach unless that guy is sent? So in the order of things, what must you have? Sending. Sending, preaching, hearing, believing. Come back to it. How can you even go try be the keruks of God, be the angel of God, if God has not commissioned you? If God has not clearly instructed you? Because like I said, there are many fake fathers. They're not, they, didn't, they were not sent, they went. Right? Of their own ambition. Right? Now, um, the issue here, the, what we want to focus on is beautiful, the word beautiful. Beautiful. It was a beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of the preachers that bring good news? In the Greek, the word beautiful is heroios. Please below that put in brackets, derived from kairos. The word means the following. Belonging to the right hour or season. Now, you know that one of the words for time is kairos in the Greek. And kairos, as opposed to chronos, chronology is normal time as we'll calculate it. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries. We, we, make, we make sense of our living on this planet by a time frame. Chronology. The other word, that's chronos. The other word for time is the Greek word kairos which means an opportune time in which certain constituted events in the mind of God must take place. Now, I'm telling you, where the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet, this word beautiful is heroios, which is a derivative of kairos. It means the person that comes to you to preach must be in sync with the current time and what God is emphasizing in that period. To bring you a relevant current word, not something obsolete, archaic, not relevant to you. Do you understand? Say beautiful feet. Hmm? Hope your father has beautiful feet. That means, his whole disposition is, I want to remain fresh, current, with God's current emphasis of the word he's bringing to the body of Christ. It means a couple of other things, at least three nuances or, or uh, emphases in this word. Right? Let me just complete this. So belonging to the right hour or season, timely, also flourishing and beautiful. In the paragraph after that I wrote, those who bear or bring good news through the preaching of the word of the Lord must have beautiful feet. The word beautiful denotes, put the number one, flourishing. Hence, productive. But also, put number two there, timely, relevant word, a current word. And then, put number three, that brings momentum and forward movement, implied by the use of the term feet. What do feet do? What do you do with your feet? <laughs> you, you walk, right? Feet implies progression, momentum, forward, forward, forward movement in the purposes of God. The preacher, the karuks that comes to you, when he preaches a now relevant word, the words are only timely, it's only apt, now word, the proceeding word of God for you, but when that word hits you, it brings productivity, fruitfulness to your life, and causes you then to find new momentum in the purposes of God. Acceleration. 
Dr. Seki calls this kairos fathering. He's come up with this term now being used in many quarters. Kairos fathering. Relevant spiritual fathering for a particular season in God. Amen. On page 6, or rather the top, yeah, the top of page 6, just to emphasize a verse, which we all know, and I've spoken about this, but just for the sake of those who may not have heard it, and the principle contained there, it's Genesis Genesis 49, verse 1 and 2. Here, Jacob summoned, and you should underline the word summon. A summon is not a suggestion. A summon is a call, command, that you have to heed. There are times when fathering has to summon sons to communicate like very serious downloads where there's no alternative. Uh, the, the option to be absent is not considered. Why? It's not that you want people. It's the weight of the speaking of the Lord that is the issue. Remember, Jacob here is aged. He's virtually blind, so his sight is closed to natural things. But his sight is very open to spiritual realities. The reconciliation between Joseph and the brothers had taken place. Uh, the household is together. Jacob's about to die, and before he dies, he calls all the boys, and one by one, he prophesies significant things over the destinies of each of the boys. Not just for their lives as people, but for what the tribe would become. Like when he speaks to Judah, the man Judah standing, but this guy, this, this Jacob, he's seeing, he actually uses the term last days or days to come. Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I might tell you what will befall you in the last days, King James says, or the days to come. So he's, the last days, you apply that prophetically. It's not just at the end of your lives, but it's in time. I, I will prophesy over you personally, but I have my eyes set on this um, mantle that each of you will carry, this grace that's going to find expression in the church in the last days. Right? So, for example, much of what's applicable to Judah in that prophecy, we embrace today, to Issachar and the rest of the brothers. But, now, underline the word assemble, and underline the word I tell you. It's almost like God speaking. Let me just say this to you. I guarantee you tonight, if the whole church were here tonight, let's say the whole church were here tonight, God would speak at a higher level. There's something about the assembling of the saints and the speaking of the Lord. There's something about when people come together, it's as though there's a prophetic dynamic locked up in God that simply opens and comes to the speaker. Hmm? I've seen this when I go to foreign nations. Um, in Kenya, when we spoke to audiences of like two and a half to 3,000 people, and the, the gathering of strategic leaders in the nation come together, you, you often wonder, God, why you put me in this context? You know, I've studied so limitedly. How can I stand before these guys and speak? My experience has been, no matter what kind of preparation I've done, my own personal discipline in preparing for the meeting, it's as though when you stand... God speaks through you based on the assembly, the constitution of the gathering. So Jacob says, I summon not to just gather together and I will tell you things that will befall you in the last days. And here's the verse, listen carefully. Gather together 
and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So underline Jacob and Israel. It's not two individuals. It's the same individual reference. Remember, his name was Jacob, but when he wrestled with the angel, his name was changed to Israel. So what's the command? He says, gather together sons of Jacob, but when I speak, I speak as Israel. Jacob means deceiver, supplanter, conniver. So there's negative connotations bound up in the name Jacob. Israel means he who has power or strength or has prevailed with God. Right? So sons, when you gather, don't focus what Jacob is literally saying to them. Some of you, my sons, might know my history. I deceived my bigger brew, Esau. I got into this patriarchal blessing by conniving uh, my way into it. I'm a schemer, right? I'm a trickster. I've got human deficiency, but I've engaged and I wrestled with God and my nature was changed. Gather to me, sons of Jacob, but when I speak, don't focus on the Jacob in me, access the Israel in me. Right? So whenever you speak, that's why Paul says, you did not behold my infirmity in the flesh, but you received me as Christ. Now, having said that, go to the next point. Hold fast to the words of God released through your spiritual father. It is critically important that one consistently and repetitively exposes oneself to the word of the Lord as released through authentic apostolic spiritual fathers who are connected to a relevant proceeding word of God. Key words, they are consistent, consistently and repetitively exposes oneself. Now, I've said that before. Let's try and track that statement and see how it applies to Paul and Timothy. He has a spiritual father over a spiritual son. Look at, for example, the instructions of Paul to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.13, he said, in the New American Standard, Timothy retain the standard of sound words, which you heard from me, in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. In the King James Version, it says, hold the what? Hold the pattern of sound words which you heard from me. Now, the words pattern or standard literally mean sketch. A sketch or imitation. I like that meaning. When you think of the word standard or pattern in this sense, these buzzwords should crop up in your mind. Example, pattern, sketch, outline. So if I were to come on this pulpit and let's say, I'm Paul and you're my spiritual sons, Timothy's there, and later from my prison, Paul wrote this from prison, I'm writing to the son of mine, I'm saying, hey Timothy, remember what I said to you? Remember the construct of my teaching to you. Remember the outline of my teaching. Remember the sketch Remember the broad construct of some of the key principles I've taught you. Hold on to those, my son. Retain on, retain, hold. Hold means firmly grasp onto, not loose engagement. If you retain or if you hold, it does not mean loosely apply yourself to. Don't, don't, your attempts must not be feeble. They must be ardent. They must be diligent. 
hold on to the pattern. You won't say pattern. That pattern, the outline, the sketch, the broad construct of sound words. As you see, you know, so the Greek word for sound implies free from corruption. To be uncorrupt. Free from the mixture of error. Paul is saying, Timothy, when I spoke to you and I taught you, I did not do it. It was no falsehood at any level in it. The content was not erroneous. Neither was my ambition or my motivation in teaching you. So retain or hold fast the sketch, the outline. And like the word suggests, it's a sketch for imitation. To be copied. Actually, to be duplicated not only in you, but in others even beyond you. Keep the form. Hold on, listen carefully, to that form of doctrine. Now for emphasis, go to the next page. To the Corinthians, he said this, 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this reason I have sent to you, Timothy. Now Paul is saying, I'm sending my spiritual son Timothy to you. He's my beloved and he's my faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of what? This is a very important scripture, this very, very important scripture. You should underline my ways. Timothy reminds the Corinthian church of the ways of Paul, which are in Christ. So they're not just Pauline ways. It's not just Paul's manner or behavior or character, but Paul specifies it's all that in Christ. So you can't just say, well, if I'm Randolph's spiritual son, let me, use, let me use myself and Tamo. If Tamo is my spiritual father in the Lord, something I do, the content of my preaching, the content of my teaching, you know what's actually? It's actually stuff, form, a sketch, an outline I've heard from Tamo. I'm just really now filling in the gaps. That's what I'm doing. Not that there are gaps, you know what I mean. Just, just amplifying certain points, right? Let's read this completely. When Timothy comes, he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach in every single church. Paul is saying, every church I go to, I have a form, an outline, a sketch of doctrine that I deliver. Here is one, my son in the Lord, he has become the embodiment so much of this form of teaching I cannot come to you, Corinthians. I will send him. When he comes, he's got no other agenda than to amplify to you, through the word, what I have become, my ways in Christ. That's why it's easy for me to preach. You know why? I'm not developing something new. I lock into my spiritual father, check what construct, what form, what outline, what emphasis. That's why I never miss a school. Why am I painstakingly typing out every school? Why do we make summation copies of all the sessions on one MP3? Why do we listen to it daily and repetitively? Why take the time? It's costly in terms of man hours. Ask Jules and, and, and uh, Renee at home after school. I mean, at the school, you're taking notes furiously. You come home to edit to put it in a, in a manner that's acceptable in terms of its representation, to make others easily receive it. 
all that is time. Nobody does that if you don't value the thing. If you don't place, if I in my mind thought, ah, I would never devote all that time. Why do I do it? That is like gold to me. Most schools have framed my view or given me an emphasis for my personal study and have even given emphasis to themes and concepts we've taught here. It's vital. What am I doing? I'm holding on to the form of teaching I received from the voice within the voice. Right? So then, if I go to Kenya, when to Kenya soon, two weeks, when I go to Kenya and I stand before a conference, I communicate the ways of my Father in Christ through my doctrine. It's not that you're trying to, to, to bring attention to a man, but that man has become the message. And God, who is spirit, will communicate to other humans via another human being. Hmm? This will cut all your work in half. Eh? Isn't it? Now, please don't become lazy. <laughs> you know why? Because God will... You see, when Timothy stands, Timothy is not Paul. Paul has a certain lingo, a certain vocabulary, a personality through which God's word is delivered. But when Timothy stands, God will use him, God will use his vocabulary, his words, to communicate divine things. That is why Paul said this, um, the gift that you received by the laying on of my hands, you must kindle. If you don't do the kindling, the gift will die. There's personal responsibility also in engaging the word. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is a lovely portion. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1 to 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. And to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I exhorted thee to tarry in Ephesus, when I was going through Macedonia, or Kenya, or Ghana, New Zealand, I was traveling, I said, stay in that location, that you might do what? Charge certain men to teach what? Do not teach a different thing. Hold on to the teaching that you receive from me. Don't veer off. And start now to teach something contrary, something different. Hold on to the doctrine that you have received. You'll see this coming through various scriptures. First Timothy 4.11. What does Paul say to his son? Teach these things. These things. Command and teach. Not those things. Not your things. Not your own ideas. The things that you receive from me. When Timothy starts to function, Timothy's whole objective is the things that I receive from Paul, I receive it in custody as a good steward. I now transmit them to faithful men that will be able to teach others also. In the next verse, he tells him that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 2 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. These things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Right? It's, it's dangerous for private tuition without witnesses. <laughs> Let me just say this. Paul says, when I taught you, 
I told you publicly, and I told you before many witnesses. You know why if you submit yourself to a process of instruction privately outside of the view of your father, you are susceptible for error. When your father can be teaching one thing, and there's some serpent whispering an erroneous doctrine or even challenging what your father is, is preaching. Paul said it was done publicly, it was done before many witnesses. Now he says, entrust these to faithful men which will be able to teach others also. Can you see this over and over again? If you were Timothy and you're receiving all of these instructions, your whole mandate is, whatever I've seen and heard in my father, that I teach. Now, if you're not still convinced, look at the next verse. 2 Timothy 3, from verse 10 onwards. And notice the bolded portions. You have followed my teaching. You are at every apostolic school of ministry. You came to every perspective. Wherever I was, you were there. You followed, you tracked the development of my doctrine. You, you positioned yourself under my instruction. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. You followed my teaching. But just stop right there. Not just my teaching. Listen to what Paul lists after that. You were not just at every Bible study, but you also followed what? My conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, my persecution, my suffering, all the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. You, Timothy, saw my whole life. You, Timothy, were not just present under my teaching, but you saw me in a range of different contexts. You know my life inside out. That is why when you hear my message, you know that I truly have become the message. Can you understand Paul's heart here? Now, having said that, he says this. Indeed, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, tell your neighbor that's a prophecy for you. <laughs> There's no way of escaping. I wish the law was different. Eh? I really wish. I just wish. This is the, the, the divine methodology of the Lord. The more, it seems like the more godlier you get, the more the persecution. The Bible says, I think it was one of the kings, after having done deeds of faithfulness, the enemy rose up against him. When you're doing the right thing, the persecution just intensifies. Welcome to the kingdom. The Bible says, through many tribulations... What does it say we must, that verse? Through much tribulations we must enter the kingdom or something like that. Paul is reminding his son Timothy, you know my, my, my persecuted life. Here is the thing, verse 13. Evil men and impostors, false fathers, will proceed from bad to worse. Now, is it not getting worse? It's getting worse by the day. Right? It's getting worse than worse. Deceiving and being deceived. I should have highlighted that. Put them mounting deception. Like when you read that phrase, I mean, you proceed from bad to worse. 
you deceiving and still being deceived. This is like mounting deception. Notice the context for Paul's instruction to his son. This is the world you are living in, Timothy. You, however. There are many you ever's in the book of Timothy. In the, in the book of, in, in the King James, he says, but you. That's happening, no problem. People are getting worse and worse. But you, my son. But you. You, however. Please put that on your wall somewhere. You, however. There's a different expectation upon you. They can proceed from bad to worse, but you. Amen? Joash, your classmates, bad to worse, eh? Seems like getting worse and worse, but you. But you be different. Your environment, in your workplace. Hey? Clinton, the law profession. They get from bad to worse, not so. Leo, your own profession too, forensics. Get from bad to worse. Teachers. I'm shocked that some people are teachers today. When I was in staff, I would have, if I had my way, I would have fired half the staff. Right? It seems like things are getting from bad to, to worse. Right? You, however, what must you do? I like this. Continue in the things that you, two things. The things that you have learned and secondly, become convinced of. You continue. Simply carry on with the doctrine that I've been delivering, Timothy. So, why must you carry on? If I were Paul, I would have said, because they are God's word. No, Paul draws attention to him. He says, knowing from whom you have learned them. Paul doesn't say, carry on with the things you've learned and become convinced, because these are God's things. He says, carry on with those things, because you'll learn them from me. He's not trying to, like, highlight himself. Right? Or blow himself up. He's trying to stress to Timothy. I am an accurate representation of Christ in your world, Timothy. You, you followed my teaching, my blessings, my persecutions in a range of experiences across, across three or four uh, geographical areas that is listed. You, you know that. You know what's happening in the world. Falsity, imposters are proceeding from bad to worse. There's mounting deception. In the midst of this whole you, Hugh, Timothy, hold on to my teachings, the things you have learned and become convinced of. Why? Because you learned them from me. Then he says this. You should just write the credible source. He's a credible source. I was arguing with somebody late last night via Facebook. Somebody in Michigan, not my Facebook friend, this guy found access. I've got a page on Facebook called Kingdom Economics. And so he said, I saw it. He just opened, he's opened the, this is how he starts, Randolph. I don't know him from a bar of blue Randolph, to not teach as the doctrine of God, the viewpoints of men. And he, he leads me to some website. I go to the website. It's a website dedicated to the anti-tithe, anti-first fruit position, publicly. So this was like now, half past ten, I just finished, I was coming up, quickly chair, see this, uh, I said, respond now or respond in the morning? I'm like, tired, can you respond now? Guy is up, it's midday there, it uh, must be early in the morning. So I respond, hi, so-and-so, hi, I trust you are well in the Lord. 
Right? I received your view. I'm, I checked the website out. I'm thoroughly familiar with all the anti-tithe, anti-pursuit positions. Then I give my view and, and my premise for which I, I stand. What about paragraph? About five minutes later, he responds. He says, Shoo, the way you speak, you sound so wholesome. And there's so much grace, but I think you're in error. And then so you know, we go backwards and forwards. Now, um, what, what I realized, yeah, I need to put the love of God on display. And I need, I need to couch it in the way I communicate it. Because in the manner in which he was saying some of the things I could realize, I realized he's saying it from the position of disappointment with the way finances are being managed in some of the circles to which he's associated with. That's why I picked up very strongly. Listen carefully. When I was writing, you know, like, it's not like you doubt what you stand for. But now someone is challenging your view. And I'm thinking, at one side I said to him, listen, in all honesty, I have searched the scriptures over several years concerning these matters, and I, I realize I have to be true to my own convictions and to the representation of God as his teacher. And I, uh, however you differ from my view, I know the church is polarized over these issues, but nevertheless, I have to be honest and be true to myself and to my God. I know you have your view. I'm not making a judgment on it. I'm just expressing that I need sincerity in expressing my view. Something like that. Then I'm thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe you need to go back and restudy the way you were talking. And then he's like, the enemy's like starting to sow like seeds. Didn't I realize, hey, no, man. My father teaches these things. Not just my father teaches them. Credible apostles in my city are teaching these things. Why must I listen to some voice in the wilderness? Right? You know what? Sometimes I felt like empowered. My view was not just because of my own personal inquiry. My view is cemented by the fact the person that initially taught me these views is a highly credible source. Paul is saying something similar. Timothy, there's deception going to come. There's falsity. There's people going to be challenging you on Facebook and email. They're going to come and try and, and blow you over. But hold fast to what you've learned and the thing that you have become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned it. Hmm? And then he says, verse 15, besides me, Timothy, my influence, he says, from a child you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. That verse right there, underline teaching, reproof, correction, training. All the, like, the immediate powerful benefits of the word. The word can do all four things. Teach, reproof, correct, and train. Right? So hold on to that form of doctrine that you have, that you have received. Okay? Go to page 8, the middle part. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Paul says, imitate me just as I also am an I also am of Christ. So you should only follow uh, your spiritual father to the degree that he follows Christ. If he misrepresents Christ, right, you have every biblical grounds not to follow. Right? If I come up here tomorrow and say, 
guys, I've just got a great revelation. Um, it's, it's permissible to have a second wife. God spoke to me. All of you right now should start to, to go on a head hunt on defining the second partner. I can prove this to you from the scriptures. Understand? I could PowerPoint everything. All right, obviously, what must you do? Must you all guys running out and looking? What would you do? Say, hey, our father has missed it big time. Hmm? Right? You don't follow the doctrine. What should you do like a good Berean, first of all? Search the scriptures. Try and validate for yourself the truth of this. If I'm in error, fortunately I have a father. You can report me to my father. Say, sort your son out. Okay. Right? You have that liberty. Because you must watch for each other. But someone who is truly following, hearing God accurately, he can confidently say to others, follow me because I'm following Christ. Right? This, we'll, we'll just do this page. I won't carry on from beyond this because of time. In, in 1 Corinthians 11.2, he says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and you hold firmly to the traditions that I have delivered to you. Right? Hold firmly to the stuff I have delivered. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to what? Hold to the traditions which you are taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter or by manual or by email, however you were taught, Paul saying whether by word of mouth or by, in his context, the, the, the technology of the day was the most advanced technology of communication, apart from word of mouth was letter writing. If Paul, if Paul was alive today, what a field day this guy would have. All he knew was, what's that quote? Feather, ink, chains, prison, darkness, lamp, right? Send it with Epaphras, could give this to the Colossian church. It's the only means here. If, if Paul would be writing epistle mails today, not emails, epistle mails, <laughs> if he were alive today, probably have websites. His whole intent was, I write Paul's. Anointing was this. Paul's grace was this. With my pen, with my pen, I can change whole cities. You know, Paul never met anybody from Colossia. Nobody in Colossians met him face to face. Epaphras went on his... Epaphras heard Paul once, and Epaphras was Paul's ambassador to that region. When you read Colossians, only four chapters. In there somewhere, Paul says, um, I wish some of you could see my face. How is that? People haven't met him physically, yet his writings change them forever. Amen? Tell you that, but change the world with your pen. Change the world with your pen. That's what we are doing now. Right? We have 30 somewhat more people to email. We're changing people with our pens. Right? It's an apostolic frequency. Then, just quickly, 2 Thessalonians 3.8, 3.6. We commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life. Not according to the tradition which you receive from us. This will help you. know, holding on to the, to the outline, the pattern, the form of doctrine from your father will even help you sort out whom you must relate to. And the brother that walks contrary to that doctrine, Paul says, don't keep company with him. Don't, keep, don't associate with him. If he's unruly, unruly means undisciplined. Knowing the principles, you choose to walk oppositely. Paul says, disconnect. You see, this form of teaching will help you a lot. 
in your life. And then, I love this verse to the Romans. I heard Tamo preach this verse for the first time on the 16th of December last year. We went for the annual River of Life, what they call it, Thanksgiving service. And Paul, I think Paul, well, Paul, in my view, <laughs> Tamo ministered on Romans 6, 17. And the first time I saw the lights on in the scripture, last year, December. Listen to this. Thanks be to God, because it was a Thanksgiving service, so Tamo uses this basis for his own personal Thanksgiving. He said, thanks be to God, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to what? To that form. The word form, yeah, is the same word pattern that we just read, right? Um, the outline, the form, the template, the construct of teaching, which, to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I want to encourage you, the church here, hold on to the form of teaching that you are being delivered. What is that form of teaching? For us, it includes things like the focus on fathering and sonship, Hebronic relationships, righteousness, purity, the oneness of the body of Christ. There are key concepts that we are stressing, which in my mind, form part of the pattern of sound doctrine key areas of understanding and doctrine that which we hold to and which we assimilate. Governmental prayer, the kingship of the saints, the, the dominion mandate. All of these things are like key fundamental concepts in our journey. Hold on to that form of doctrine. Okay? And I won't do it now because of time. Maybe on Sunday, I'll finish this on Sunday morning. because It's quite lengthy to explain. When we go to John 8, in John 8, please read it before Sunday. Soak yourself in John 8. So that on Sunday I will unpack John 8. What I'll do from John 8, Elizabeth, I'll just put it succinctly in your, as a note. In, in John 8, you will see all of the principles we have taught tonight located in one chapter. And Jesus has a very intensive discourse with Pharisees. And the whole issue of sonship is attested or validated by certain principles that he, he challenges them by. And you'll see these principles play themselves out. But somebody somewhere via Facebook or whatever, they're going to come to you and say, but, but, and the, the questions will come, but, but X, Y, Z. Retain the words of sound doctrine. And, listen carefully, you must have the capacity to pass them on to faithful men that we'll be able to teach others also the line continuity. That one last verse, John 12, 49. I did not speak, Jesus said, of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. That's how true fathers speak. They only speak of their own accord. They speak as the Father speaks through them. So learn to appreciate and obey the voice within the voice. Amen. God richly bless you.